My name is Nicholas Gonzalez. Thanks for coming over today. I hope everyone's doing well and enjoying whatever weather you're experiencing right now. At this point, who knows what's happening. So uh, I would like to introduce today a good friend of mine. Uh, we've traveled together on tour and have had a really fun rapport between each other. Uh, her name is Alita. Hey, Alita. Hey. How's it going? Good, good. How are you? I'm good. Just, you know, dealing with all of the fun changes in the world right now. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's uh, definitely one of those. You kind of have to laugh at it sometimes, but... Nothing else to do. Exactly. Yeah. How are you doing? Just enjoying I'm good. all that? Yeah, I'm here in New York City. Um, I have been quarantining with my fiancé since March. Um, I was previously on tour with Wicked, and March Friday, March 13th, we got notified that we were shut down, and I was home on Sunday, scrubbed the studio apartment that we were sharing, and then he got home on Monday. Mm. And then we have been in the city ever since, um, we have since moved to a two-bedroom in the same building. I live in artist housing and um, just been having all sorts of quarantine adventures. I definitely did the sourdough thing and, um, you know, I take, I, I'm a dancer and a singer and actor, so I take all of my lessons basically in my living room now. I have gone through so many different versions of a ballet bar and a dance floor and it's been really interesting and um just trying to keep healthy and not spread anything to anyone and mm. that's my whole goal in life right now until we get back yeah yeah and i bet especially one because you're in this major city but just having to figure out and get creative with how to stay active and like keep yourself fit and healthy as well as trying to keep yourself ready for when things eventually do go back and not feel like you're you're suddenly stuck and not sure what to do now absolutely you got to stay ready to be ready and i am for sure going in and out of it too mm -hmm. um i go in and out of like feeling like yes we're gonna be back soon like i thought this thing at the beginning was gonna be three weeks i right. was one of those i'm like three weeks we got this we're gonna be back and then three weeks turned into it's going to be more than a year. I'm actually now um, at, like, I was with Wicked for six months, um, mm -hmm. almost to the day, actually, um, six months when we shut down for COVID. So I've now been away from the show longer than I was with the show. Um, and I was a swing, which... For my non-show folks, um, that means that I cover, I understudy everyone in the ensemble. So I understudied nine and a half ladies ensemble members and could go on for any one of them at any point. And um, so that's, instead of just remembering one show, I have to remember nine shows. Right. So it's going to be fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we've been away for so long. It's like just staying, staying healthy, staying ready, staying up to speed. And then I'm sure, you know, we're going to have to have rehearsal when we get back because I'm sure even people who are just doing one thing don't remember what they were doing anymore. Right. Exactly. We've, we've all been away for so long that we kind of have to go through almost at the start and kind of repeat yeah. what everything was. And like, I, I was on the Anastasia crew and I was kind of in a similar situation where I actually joined them after someone else had stepped away. I joined them in October Oh, and in March was when we uh, were also shut down and closed. So, yeah. yeah, I've been away from the show. And unfortunately, with uh, Anastasia, they did actually decide to close the tour completely. So we're not yeah. going back. But, uh, yeah, it's it's weird to think that 
the last job that I have, I've been away from longer than I actually had the job. Yeah. It's such a weird, weird feeling to Mm -hmm. be like, oh gosh, yeah, it's, I was only there for that amount of time and now I've been home for even longer Mm -hmm. again. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Super bizarre. Yeah. Well, when we met, we were on a different show. We were on Chicago together. Yes. Um, I'm so glad that you, can I tell it? Oh, Um, The sock puppet. (laughs) (laughs) So um, we had this thing. So Roxy and Billy have this super dramatic um, dialogue conversation right before, um, God, Razzle Dazzle, I -hmm. think it is, right before the court case. And he's, they get in a fight and then immediately he's like comforting her, which seems like a very weird script at it to me, but whatever. It works. Right. Um, and so Nick and I have this sock puppet routine that we did. And we started out with just like hands and then it grew to this whole thing. And then Nick actually made freaking sock puppets and they are the greatest thing ever. And I think I have them. Oh, I, really? Yes, I still have them. They exist, and they will come back to life when I can find them. They might be in the storage unit, <laughs> but they're absolutely in existence, and I freaking love it. And there is one clip <laughs> of us doing it <laughs> um, backstage right before I would go on for Razzle Dazzle, because it was just this dead time where nothing was going on, because the show is like, it's the show, and there's like not that much else. Right. Um, because the show is singularly already doing so much on its own. It doesn't need extra. It's like, um, I always think of Chicago as being like a magnifying glass, mm. um, where it's just like the, the lighting does almost everything. There's no costumes, there's no set, it's a bandstand and it's mm. really relying on just the actors themselves and the dancers to, who are actors. I have to stop thinking like that, where dancers and actors, it's like, no, everybody is an actor, whether they're dancing or not, the dance is part of it. And um, that show really doesn't need anything else because the story really speaks for itself and it it becomes more poignant as the years go by. Uh, In the 70s, when it premiered, it was relevant. And then in the 90s, when the revival that is still running on Broadway or will be back, Um, was during the OJ trial and so that whole that whole razzle dazzle thing that's like so accurate for what was going on with the OJ trial and now with the um the former that guy who uh used to pretend to run things um yeah that one with the orange um (laughs) yeah that one you know it I think it's pretty relevant too um yeah we, yeah. we we do not speak his name in no, he, my house. <laughs> no, it's it's the uh, what's it called? Like the the one that shall not be mentioned. Or whatever. yes, yes, like um, uh, like that wizard. Exactly, the, the other one that will not be mentioned. <laughs> yes. So it's. I mean, it just remains relevant. Anyway, I'm so off course right now. But You're good. yeah. So we were we were on Chicago, and you know, one nighters, split weeks. Sometimes we'd be somewhere for a week and honestly, like there's something about that show by the end of the week, we were so ready to get out of there. Mm -hmm. Even when it was like we were playing Chicago or something in Chicago at, well, had we been in the Chicago theater in Chicago, it would have been doing Chicago in Chicago at Chicago, which would have been (laughs) hilarious, but we did not get that lucky. No. Um, we were in another theater, but um, I still love it. Mm-hmm. Um, by by the end of like seven days, we were all ready to go, which is so crazy because now with Wicked, it's sit downs of like three, four weeks at a time. That's right. And because just because of the size of the pieces, it's a lot of trucks, it's a lot of costume pieces. Um, I'm barely settled in by a week two. 
I'm mm-hmm. still like, oh, wait, are you, this is how it works? Okay. But that might be like swing life. So Right. You know. Well, I mean, like, I think in any of the chores, one of the biggest problems was recognizing, oh, this is a new building. Now the traffic backstage will be a little bit different here. Yeah. In order to get to the other side, I'll have to go downstairs or there's not a lot of room. So I'll have to figure all of that out. Or it's colder than we thought it would be. Uh, <laughs> thank you, West Virginia. <laughs> yeah. By the way, so I rented a car to drive that week because I was so sick of the bus. And um, that morning I woke up in Wheeling, West Virginia, and there had been a snowfall. And I looked out the window and actually it was a really great hotel. But I looked out the window and I was like, I just cracked up because I was like, okay, I guess this is the day that I, this Southern California girl learned to dig out a car. (laughs) because I had never done it before and so that was the morning where I learned how to dig out my car and I was laughing the whole time and I wish somebody had filmed it because it was ridiculous (laughs) and then I drove for like eight and a half hours and then we did a show that night I think um in Ohio in Dayton that sounds about right yeah wheeling to Dayton it was ridiculous um yeah (laughs) but gosh I I feel like we've seen places in the country that I maybe barely knew existed. Yeah, yeah. There was definitely a couple places where I, like, so many of them are a blur, but I just remember waking up on the bus and being like, (sighs) okay, well, this is a new place, whatever. And then getting up, setting up the show, trying to figure out how everyone works in this new area, because, you know, every new city had a brand new crew. So that was always fun. And then being done, loading it back up, getting on the bus and doing it all over again. It was, I don't even know how crew managed because granted that there was a lot less going on, but it's still a show. There's still Mm -hmm. all of the lighting, all of the sound, the set, which was a huge bandstand. Right. And uh, all the props and all of the chairs and, and the, the beauty lights on the side and, um, it's still a full show, and mm-hmm. to move that quickly was remarkable. That was a, a feat. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can tell me better. <laughs> yeah, no, but you no, can you're... say better than I can. Yeah, it was. It was definitely like, especially after they tried to cut it down, it was still oh crazy God. to just see all of this material that needs to go in it and decide. Okay, how much of this can we actually use today? Um, right. due to the schedule and the space and all that but luckily it was not my choice to do that I just had to go with whatever someone else decided it's like okay cool yeah. we're gonna work with this now and just run with it yeah that's it was interesting sometimes when we would come in and it would be like so we don't have this 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 and this and mm-hmm. we'd be like wait what's left <laughs> what's left of the set because there isn't that much to begin with but there's more than you would think there is yeah yeah and like it's it's always surprising especially when we did cut down so much and like you said before it is very much dependent on the actors uh on stage so like even when we did cut it down so much it just proves the strength of that show is how it's presented. It it can yeah. look very different, but as long as the, the core acting and the core storytelling is done, that's really what it's about. So, who would you like to introduce us to today? So, today I think I'm going to talk to y'all about my great aunt Mary, who was the twin sister of my grandmother. So, She and my grandmother, twin sisters, um, they, so, gosh, where to start? Um, They lived through Second World War in Amsterdam with their mother, and they were about 17 years old during the really, really bad winter where um, the Nazis had cut off the supply lines, uh, railroad lines, to the city and they were basically starving the population Mm -hmm. um most people know this time through Anne Frank but I know it through personal family history uh so my grandmother she passed away in the summer of summer fall of 2012 and um so it's been nearly nine years and 
I'm actually named after her, Alida. So her full name was Alida Gerarda Schorman, and then her married name, last name was Humer, H-U-M-E-R. Um, and that's my paternal grandmother. And her twin sister was named Mary. So my great aunt Mary, she uh, passed away toward the beginning of 2020. Um, I believe she was 95 years old and she lived in Holland. She was a um, therapist in Holland and she um, she was really old and she <laughs> kind of had felt like she had lived her life and hadn't really left the house. It was sort of early in COVID, um, maybe like April, May time. And she, which this is a legal thing in the Netherlands, uh, made the choice to have euthanasia, uh, to be euthanized. Um, it was totally her choice. She wasn't ill with any particular disease except just being of advanced years. And, um, she decided and she celebrated that morning with her daughter and her granddaughter, um, granddaughters. And, um, then she went, her daughter took her to the clinic and she moved on. And it, it's interesting because my, my grandmother passed nearly nine years ago and she passed in the, in the night. Um, not quite in her sleep, but practically in her sleep. Um, and it, it's just interesting because it's twins. It's like twins at the end of life. But it's also my grandmother and my great aunt. And the last time I saw her was a couple of years ago. I, w I was on my way to Israel and I stopped in Holland and spent the evening with my, um, my second cousin, who was her daughter and felt more like an aunt to me anyway. And um, we went to visit my great aunt and she had this book, Kiki's Perry. It's a coffee table book, but my mom also has that same book. And it's about a very interesting character who was a model and a muse for the artists of Paris um, in the early part of the 20th century. And uh, I saw it on her shelf and she said, oh, great, I'll, I'll give it to you. Um, she was really old then. She was you know, it wasn't that many years ago. And she, I'm sure she was probably like, I just want to get rid of things now. I just, <laughs> I don't want to hold on to things anymore. And I didn't have space in my suitcase. I was only traveling with a carry-on. Mm -hmm. And I said, hang on to it for me. Next time I come to Holland, I'll pick it up. And that was actually the last time I saw her. Mm -hmm. um, and it kind of reminds me of the last conversation I had with my grandmother. Um, I was doing a show in St. Louis and I was uh, Victor Victoria in St. Louis, Stages of St. Louis, and um, I had a conversation with her on Friday, on a Friday, and I told her, like, oh, yeah, we're doing this thing, and this is the show, and um, I wish you could see it, and then two days later, I heard that she had passed on. So I'm sort of glad I had that last conversation with her, and I got to tell her about things, and I don't think that she was expecting to go because she I think made some mention of coming to visit me in New York we had always tried to put that together but I didn't I wasn't set up the way I am now um I have more bedrooms and then I was I think I was living with an who's now an ex-boyfriend um up in Washington Heights not really a place that I would necessarily want my grandmother to come, especially in winter if it's cold mm. and icy and have to take the subway. Cabs don't necessarily go up there all the time. And um, and I always felt like a little bit bad about that, that I couldn't make that trip happen. But I don't know that she would have wanted to really do that trip anyway because it's so long and so far. And uh, New York is a tough city to get around in right. or if, if you're willing to shell out money to get in a cab all the time. Um, but I, that just, you know, for regular everyday New Yorkers, it feels a little bit wasteful when we know how the subway works. But obviously in advanced in years, I'm not going to ever ask somebody's grandmother or my own grandmother to go down into the subway. Right. You're um, not going to have them go down to Times Square and kind of get off and jump on the no. airline or anything. Absolutely not. <laughs> and I, I lived at like 190th and St. Nicholas Boulevard. So oh, you're um, a ways out. 
Oh, yeah. It was more like, hey, mommy, like every day on the street when I would walk to and from the subway. So it was like a very different kind of neighborhood, and which was totally fine for me. I loved it up there, but I probably would not take my 80-something-year-old grandmother up there. Fair um, enough. <laughs> yeah. Even not to say that there aren't 80-something-year-old grandmothers <laughs> living there, but have a feeling that they are more equipped to handle right. the neighborhood. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so my, my great aunt Mary and the interesting thing I think is that she made a choice and she was able to make good on that choice. Um, in Holland, in the Netherlands, euthanasia is legal for in certain cir- circumstances. Um, if mm-hmm. you are diagnosed with a terminal illness, there's no hope. Um, if you are of advanced years, um, I know that there was one there was one really interesting case that um, there was a girl who was about 17 years old and she was very severely depressed. She was suicidal and mm. she wanted to go in for euthanasia and there was a big debate about it. I don't remember exactly how it ended up. I think she may have just committed suicide as opposed to having a doctor help her. Or I think she may have turned over the age of consent and then somebody actually did help her. But um, it, w- it was a weird situation. But most of the time, it's somebody who is of advanced years or with a terminal illness. And um, they do a mental health screening. And it's a little bit more uh, dignified than I think most people think. Right. And... There was something, it took the sting out of it in a way that my my great aunt was able to just make a decision and be like, I've lived my life. I'm not contributing to society. I don't want to leave my house anymore. And this was even before COVID, I think. I don't want to leave my house. I don't get any joy from this. And it's time to go. And she made a choice and she went. Mm-hmm. And she got an eco-friendly wicker basket coffin. And there it is. And, you know, yes, there's obviously the thought of, like, do we have the right to decide when we leave? Well, I guess it depends what you believe, but it definitely, knowing that she was in control of it, sort of gave everyone around her comfort, too. Right. No, I I agree. And it's, it's definitely something that I've thought about, like, especially when you do meet people who are in those circumstances where they are either advanced in age or they are in a situation where it's there's not really a good treatment like the only real treatment that they have is just comfort until they pass away yeah for a lot of people they don't want to they don't want to sit through all of that they don't want to feel like they're a burden to anyone or that they're pulling resources without contributing for a lot of people they they fear more the lack of independence than the fear of death absolutely and she wasn't even leaving her house anymore so and then covid happened so it was kind of the just the ability to say it's time i'm done yeah there's something so dignified about that and i have really fond memories of her and and there it is it's like and obviously i'm not as close with her as her daughter and her her granddaughters but uh, definitely she was a figure in my life and mm-hmm. uh, and I always have fond memories of her too right yeah no I I do think because whenever you hear especially growing up and being raised in like the US and Western culture euthanasia is kind of brought up as like a negative point of view yeah. always and there are points of it that are more darker there's definitely the forced use in uh, euthanasia where you have uh, groups of people who are specifically chosen and in that situation where they said it's better overall for society for this group of people to leave but rather than focusing on that i do agree with the personal choice of i know what i can do for the world and right now i don't feel like i can contribute any positive influence anymore so i simply want to step away and in the same way that many people have the right to choose to live the way they want to and the way that they believe is best for them i believe that they have the choice to end their life in that same way yeah well and and i think it bears mentioning especially as we're 
in this time and in this year um, that there is a huge difference between a person who is making a choice on their own behalf about their own life and then there is what you mentioned a, a euthanasia of an entire group well I would call that genocide right yeah a lot of people they they say euthanasia but what they mean is genocide and it's yeah it's uh it's very telling how they view others when they use that language well speaking of genocide um (laughs) just just comedy hour here um so my i want to tell a story about my great aunt and my grandmother and her mother um during the war in holland so they were american citizens they were actually born in los angeles um but their parents were dutch so they had i believe they had dual citizenship maybe my grandmother just had american citizenship um and that's how my dad got it and that's how i eventually got it that was a whole thing and i ended up with um the James Bond level of passports. So... <laughs> that's, that's always fun to like open your drawer and just see all of these identities. So ridiculous. <laughs> um, nobody should be allowed, but it happened. <laughs> and it's all legal. It's all completely by the books. Exactly. Um, so speaking of times, dark times. Um, so my grandmother, my great-grandmother, and her twin sister, my Aunt Mary, Great Aunt Mary, um, lived through the war in Amsterdam. And so when the, but they were American citizens, so the Nazis could not touch them. Okay. And they actually, I still have it. It's, um, well, I don't have it. My folks have it back in LA. Um, they have a ration card, rations, a uh, food ration card. Mm-hmm. And on the back, it's stamped. These are American citizens. Mm. And that card saved their life. Because their stepfather was a Jew. Oh, okay. So, and I don't even know what would have been the, what happened to them if they had been ethnically Jewish and American living in Amsterdam during Nazi occupation. Mm. Um, But they made it through and they did it very interestingly. Um, They sold the last of their silver that they had kept through the depression, which was way worse in Europe after World War One, mm-hmm. um, they they were selling off pieces of silver for food, and then when the Nazi soldiers would come through looking for Jews, looking for people who were hiding, they would they would see them down the street walking up, and they would go and quickly put on their red lipstick and get dolled up, and it would be like 17, 18 year old nazi soldiers Mm -hmm. and they would and they would go through the house with their bayonets and bayonet the closets to make sure that nobody was in there which is horrifying to think about and i hope i'm not disturbing people but this is truth and it really happened this way and um and they would walk behind them through the house Mm -hmm. and go tsk 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 you could do so much with your life. Why are you doing this? Why are you a Nazi? You could be so much better than this. You're so talented. You're so handsome, smart, whatever. They would say whatever they needed to. And they would shame them through the house. They would shame them into leaving. And I just think that's so, like, that kind of ballsiness and using what they had. They couldn't touch them. Right. And they couldn't touch the soldiers either. And the soldiers could look for anybody. Mm-hmm. And thankfully, um, their stepfather had already escaped to Spain, which was not um, not at that time cooperating with the Nazi government. Right. Um, so he was able to get away. But um, they they would just they would shame them through the house. And I think there's something so wonderful about remembering that you you have power even when you're powerless Mm. uh they chose to do something as opposed to just sit on the couch and let somebody go through their house and potentially you know find someone had they been hiding anyone right um and i don't i don't actually know but there's probably more stories there too um the other story i wanted to share is that when things got really bad and there was no food left and people were eating tulip bulbs is that 
they would get on these boats and they would go to the islands, the islands off the coast of Holland. So there's a, a whole chain of islands off of the sort of mainland coast of, of Holland and they were in Amsterdam. And so this chain of islands, um, they would get on a boat, they'd sail over and those farmers still had food and they had cheese and milk and, and things. And so they would use the last of their depression silver, the mm. silver they had saved, and they would buy the cheese and the milk and whatever else they could get, and they would bring it back. So these were fishing boats, and there were compartments inside, and they would put the food down at the bottom because the Nazis were going to confiscate everything. So they would put the food down at the bottom and cover it with stuff, and then they'd put a bench down and a blanket down, and then they'd sit on top of that. And then so when the Nazis did come on the boat and search, they would just sit there and because they were attractive and they would always make sure to doll themselves up right. for this trip because they knew they knew what was the perception and how they would be treated, mm -hmm. um, they were never asked to get up. Interesting. And so they got the food in. So while I know it's it's a very modern perspective, like women shouldn't have to get dolled up for anything, sometimes it can get your food into your city that's been a, a siege, right, under yeah. siege. So yeah. um, that's the other story I have about them uh, that is, I think, very, very brave. Yeah, and like I, I do agree that, like you said, like women shouldn't feel like they have to do this, but at the same time, they know <laughs> that they have this power, like you said, like they, yeah. they may not be able to do certain other things, but this is what they know they can control. This yeah. is what they know they can use. And man, they were gutsy to just go ahead and just do that all the time. And Absolutely. I can't even imagine what they saw when they were trying to, you know, keep this composure and try and talk to these soldiers and yeah. act as if, you know, like you said, like they're dolled up and try and just yeah. leave a present or like a pleasant uh, face and mm -hmm. talk to them. But, and they were teenagers too. I mean, their mom yeah. was with them and she must have been in her later 30s by then. But they were they were young and to have that kind of steely uh, resolve to get this done mm -hmm. and, and not break under pressure, I think is, is pretty miraculous. And, mm -hmm. um, I, I was reading an article not that long ago about a, there's an island somewhere, uh, I think it might be a British island, and Nazis invaded that island, and the owner of the castle there, not maybe not a castle, but like the, um, the, the landowner's home, mm -hmm. she knew how she could interact with them by the way that they wiped their feet on the rug in front of the door. Hmm. Um, she knew how to, because I guess whoever was coming to occupy that space was also an aristocrat or understood that she was an aristocrat and they couldn't get away with whatever they wanted to. Right. Um, and I forget who it was. I forget where it was, but that was the detail I remembered is like, she knew by the way they wiped their boots because it was a sign of respect that she was going to be able to protect all the people around her. Interesting. Yeah. Right. St stupid, weird things that like save your life. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, it's definitely strange situations, like, just in general to be in and to realize that it is those small key things that will keep you alive, that will keep those you care about alive or yeah. just be able to, to survive in some way that you kind of take for granted nowadays or you don't even pay attention to. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, you know, I I have been very careful about what I say and do on social media and especially when the last guy was um still mm -hmm. quote unquote running things <laughs> um i i had i have actually i write parody lyrics to songs sometimes and i wrote one to uh don't let's be beastly to the germans which is a noel coward song and i wrote a parody lyric um don't let's be beastly to the trumpists <laughs> and i haven't released it yet because I am not entirely sure that I won't be, um, I, that it won't get me into trouble later because I know how this stuff goes because right. my family history with it is, 
whatever you put out. And, you know, we've had similar things in this country. We've had a red scare. Mm-hmm. And w- anyway, I hung on to it. And for a good amount of time between September and November, I spent, oh, excuse me, um, I spent time planning an escape route. Mm. And seeing if I would need it. And I'm so thankful that it looks like I don't. Um, But I was absolutely prepared to use (laughs) my passports to leave. To to pull a James Bond and uh, Mm -hmm. go to another country. Yeah. Yeah. Because it didn't look too good for a while there. Yeah, no, I agree. There was definitely there was definitely some time because I do. I also have dual citizenship in Mexico, and there was definitely some time where I thought maybe going down there and uh, living there for a while would be Um, beneficial. You wouldn't be the only one. I've heard of that happening lately, and and it's just like, yep, come on in. We really don't. um, Yeah, we're we're really. We'll help fine you. with you. Yeah, we're, <laughs> we're we're fine with you. We know what's what's your deal. So yeah, you're good. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. mean, Monterey was beautiful. I enjoyed it there. Oh, it was yeah. cool. No, yeah, and like I I was able to go to Toronto earlier last yes. year, and I was like, you know what? I I went there for the winter. I could go there for the summer again, and just you know see what that's yeah. like. Yeah. yeah. There, um. So with my Dutch passport, because I I have a Dutch passport, um, mm-hmm. I was thinking Aruba. Oh. And I will tell you that there is an 8 a.m. nonstop flight every day from JFK on Delta. <laughs> oh, I'm sure that people will take note of that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Every single day, 8 a.m. nonstop flight. And it's not that expensive, and it doesn't take that long. And uh, I mean, if you're a Dutch citizen... Mm-hmm. Um, that works out very well. If you're not a Dutch citizen, then things get processed differently. But I was thinking, um, if we got to escape, mm-hmm. I know how to get there. there you and go. then my my fiance is getting proof of his Canadian citizenship. And I know a lot of people talk about Canada, mm-hmm. but he has family there. And we had thought about that as well. Yeah. So um, there were mul- there were actually multiple escape plans going. Right, you had a backup for the backup, just in case, depending on what country said yes and what country said no. <laughs> we did, we did. It's a little ridiculous, but I'm yeah. I'm grateful that it looks like it doesn't need to happen because I really enjoy my new apartment and I really love New York City, and mm. I know the business is going to be back, and I want to be here when it is back. Yeah. So. Speaking about your your great aunt and your grandma, is there anything in particular that kind of reminds you of them uh, at like a first glance or say like a smell or a certain place that you think about and you immediately connect with them? It's so interesting that you said smell because I didn't think of it till right now. But there is, so aside from the book Kiki's Perry, which I will now forever associate with my great aunt. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have some pieces of my grandmother's jewelry that she um, bequeathed to me. And I've actually, I've got her, she's got um, some rose quartz, uh, a rose quartz beaded necklace that's really beautiful. And I'm actually holding it right now. Um, I took it out. And I remember her wearing this so often. And there were a few pieces of jewelry that when I got them, um, my father went for the funeral. I was actually performing Victor Victoria when she passed on and I wasn't able to go to the funeral, but he brought these back for me. And there's some pieces that I knew about because I saw her wear them all the time. There's a ring that she wore all the time, actually a couple of rings, but then there's some stuff that I never, I never saw her wear and I never saw her in which it must have been from a different time but there's all these like 60s 70s clip-on earrings and beads and there's some stuff that I didn't ever know about and then I saw and I'm like oh my gosh these things are stunning and I wish I knew the story behind them but I never I never really got those stories I got some stories um there's a a pearl necklace a chain pearl necklace that she had that I now have that she wore all the time and I think they were a gift from her mother so they're exceptionally old um and there's a couple other pieces that were gifted to her um that are pretty spectacular but the other thing that I 
now I remember when you said smell is that there's a certain sort of a morning bun called krentbole and it's a like a a sort of a brioche-ish texture of a bread and sometimes it has raisins in it and it is I kid you not the most delicious bread ever hands down <laughs> somebody should make french toast out of it because it's amazing <laughs> and the the taste and smell of crentabole is something that I will always and forever associate with my grandmother and there was also a very particular smell that was in her home and in her suitcases when she would come visit that I was like, that smells like Holland. And for me, that smell, even though it may not actually smell like the Netherlands, mm-hmm. for me, that smell, whenever I smell it, if I, um, if like my parents in their home they have opened something and it still had that smell on it because smells fade mm-hmm. um it that to me is so holland and so my grandmother um it's immediate so crentable and like an old suitcase <laughs> that's that's good because i mean um like when you when you mentioned the the bread, like in in Mexico, there's definitely a lot of like baked bread that's uh, you don't eat it every day, but it's like pan dulce. It's it's sweet bread, uh, and yeah. it's it's so good. But yeah, uh. it's definitely one of those things where like as soon as I walk into any store and they have it, especially when it's fresh, like I immediately get transported back to back to Mexico, sitting around the table with all of my cousins and just gorging ourselves in all of this bread. Uh. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Those those things though, the that smell that that kind of cooking. Um actually the first person who ever cooked lamb chops for yeah. me was my grandma. Okay. Yeah. And I will remember this cuz it was like it was really like it almost looked like a filet mignon, but it had a ring of fat around the outside. And I was, Ooh. I was nine years old. So the only, and my mother cooks very healthy. I don't think she's ever cooked lamb in the house. Mm-hmm. Um, but she, so my I was staying with my grandmother in Holland. First time I flew from LA to Amsterdam, which then was a seven, 15 hour flight all by myself when I was nine years old. Oh, wow. Um, yes. So it it's interesting when I, I'm like, I hear about people who haven't flown on their own overseas until they're an adult. And I'm like, wait, what? Not everybody flies alone when they're nine. Um, <laughs> granted, granted, my parents could walk me practically onto the plane. And my grandmother was right there at the gate when I yeah. got there because it was pre 9-11 and things were a little bit more lax. Yeah. Um, even though we still got scanned, I think. Oh, really? I, I think we still got skinned. Yeah, it, okay. it was more safe than like say the '60s, but it was, um, but it wasn't quite the the right. You the didn't need like a, a theater actual, that we do today. Yeah, you didn't need to drop someone off and have an airport X, um, yeah. basically an attendant almost follow you everywhere else, and then have them drop you off at the plane, and then at the other airport have someone else pick you up and then you meet your relative yes it was they could basically they probably could have walked me onto the plane into my seat if Mm -hmm. if like they wanted to but i i think the stewardess they were called stewardesses by then uh Mm -hmm. back then they weren't yet flight attendants by the way um so every once in a while i still say stewardess and then i go wait that's not right flight attendant yeah Yeah. Um, but it was but that's just at that time, um, in the nineties, that was still the term anyway, um, earlier nineties, I'm not going to date myself. (laughs) Um, so they, I mean, if my parents wanted to walk me on the plane, they probably could have, but it was fine. Um, and so I forget where I was going with this. Um, but (laughs) yeah, so I flew over, I was alone with her and she, she made lamb chops and they were so delicious, but I like, like I had always seen, I, I cut off the, the fat ring around it because mm-hmm. it was probably part, I have a feeling it might have been like part of the leg or something, mm-hmm. um, but it was delicious. Oh my gosh, it was like the most delicious thing ever. And then my grandmother, she was like, I eat the fat. 
I was so surprised by that. But then now as an adult, I put it together with the stories of living through the depression and through the, the Nazi siege of Amsterdam. Mm. And then she, after the war, she was sent to relatives in New York and they basically fed her like everything fattening because they, they said they're, they're like your skin and bones because it got that bad. So now with adult eyes, I understand why she was like, I eat the fat because there might be a war around the corner and you never know. So eat the fat so you can make it through the winter. Yeah. It's definitely like a a mindset that you, it just becomes ingrained and like you, you focus on that and you don't think of that as like, Oh, this is something that I can give up right away. It's just, no, this is how I live my life. I have to prepare because I don't know what's going to happen next. So I have to take care of myself, make sure that I do everything I can right now in order to make sure I survive tomorrow. Yeah. 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 And I, I feel like during this time of COVID that we've, we've all just gotten a little bit more in touch with our survival instincts, Mm -hmm. uh, whether we wanted to or not. Um, I, I know at the beginning I I would scrub everything, um, Mm. because we didn't know anything. We were being given no information and now we know a little bit more of what needs to be cleaned, what is probably okay. Um, but I, I, I know that, um, I think the global mindset has changed to adapt to this pandemic and that we will forever be, uh, imprinted with the survival tactic, the tactics that we, we got out of it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So dark. (laughs) Yes, it's okay. But I mean, I, I do think that given everything that we're learning, both in, both what we've learned before in the past, as well as what we're learning nowadays with going through COVID and going through all of this quarantine, we can at least take this information and try and push forward and keep it in mind kind of like how your your grandma how she had to eat the fat and like that's just now a part of her because she experienced something so dramatic and now this is something that's ingrained with her and it's not a bad thing it's just now just how she lives her life and so I think now all of us who are going through and surviving this current situation are going to suddenly move forward and have little quirks or little things that we do because we've survived this. Yeah, so. absolutely. I, I think I see it mostly on the children. Mm-hmm. Um, they're really, they're going to be shaped by this the most. Right. Um, I was 17 when 9-11 happened. It definitely shaped my view of the world and I think that kids who are like 14 to 23 right now, I'm just, you know, broad spectrum right. of ages there. But um, I think around that age, that young adult age is going to be the most changed and affected by this. And we'll see some changes in, I think, technology and uh, socialization and safety and hygiene um, mm-hmm. that we've maybe seen in a long time, probably since the 1918 pandemic. Right, yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So with your aunt and your grandma, if you could spend 24 hours with them again, if they could come back and be with you, how would you want to spend that day? Wow. Oh, what a beautiful idea. Um, I would want to have a great meal, and I would just want to hear all the stories. I, w- I would want every story that I could possibly get from them, the ones that I haven't heard. And granted, I'm, I'm conceptualizing that post-mortem people gain extra wisdom. Mm-hmm. Uh, so given that idea, I would I would ask about probably if there is an afterlife and what what they think the goal of their life was what the theme was mm-hmm. um maybe what the lesson was supposed to be um i don't exactly know how but if there was a way to know 
after and then to find out while you're still here. I think that would be amazing. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And I'd want to have a, a really good meal. <laughs> yeah. I think that would be nice. Just to just have that coziness. Um, yeah, just that... Because you, you have associated so much like food and yeah. kind of that warmth with them to kind of yeah. feel that one more time, that, that definitely makes a lot of sense. And food also in general, it brings people together. You all kind of sit together, enjoy what's in front of you, and can kind of enjoy each other's company as well. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it, was, it was a long, it's been a long time since I had the two of them together in one place. I think I was, I was a really young child. The last time my great aunt Mary visited with her sister, my Oma, my, my grandmother. Mm -hmm. Um, so to have them together would already be so special. Incredible. <laughs> lots and well, lots of incredible. Oh yeah. <laughs> It'd be amazing. Well, thank you for introducing this to your great aunt and to your grandma. Yeah, absolutely. It was it was fun to talk about them. Yeah, they they sound like incredible, very strong, very independent women. Absolutely. Yeah. They were. They definitely were. Each of them just they ended up having really great careers and uh my my great aunt was a therapist and my grandmother was actually she ended up getting a like a masters in clothing, but I think specifically in costume Okay. and um, she ended up teaching nice. and um, yeah, I mean, I could, I could probably talk for hours about my grandma and her, her journey after the war. I've, I've not even touched on that, mm -hmm. but um, yeah, that, that's how the two of them were tied. And since my great aunt left us this past year, I thought I'd keep it to the sisters. Right. The, the pair. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, if people want to follow you on social media or anything, where can they find you? Oh, yeah. So um, Alida Michal Official. Uh, that's A-L-I-D-A-M-I-C-H-A-L Official. Uh, that's Instagram and TikTok. And then I also have Bulletproof Bet, B-E-T-T-E, which is my alter ego, who is the showgirl's guide to surviving and thriving. Um, and hopefully I just wrote a pilot based on the character. Hopefully that might get produced. It would be amazing. Oh, yeah. She's, she's only had her second revision reading. Um, but we'll see where she goes. So, awesome. Yeah, yeah. I can't wait to see that. And fingers crossed. Oh yes. Awesome. Well, thank you again for coming and sharing all these great stories with us today. Thanks for having me. Thank you all for stopping by and meeting Mary and Alita. Feel free to rate and subscribe to us here. If you want to reach out and share your own stories, feel free to email us at stories at theofrenda at gmail.com. And you can follow us on Instagram as well. Be safe out there, and we'll see you all soon. Te quiero.